tonight on Unsolved Mysteries, Ghost Ship, Tennessee Psycho Killer, and Missing from Maine. Let's get into it. I am your co-host, Crystal. I'm your other co-host, Robert, and welcome to Reenacted, an Unsolved Mysteries podcast. Um, so we're, we're opening tonight with uh, a segment called The Unexplained. Our first ghost episode, Crystal. Are you, are well, you excited? I'm, I was so, so excited that we were finally getting into what I think is like the real uh, meat of unsolved mysteries, which you might think is like solving murder cases, but for <laughs> me, it's it's crackpot ghost stories and lies about UFOs. Yes, and um, <laughs> there's yeah. So so tonight we're gonna talk about the Queen Mary, which is the ship that launched a thousand ghost hunts. <laughs> uh you spent all week thinking of that didn't you no nope, came to me while i was watching the episode just that's how i work robbie it just oh wow i luck. i am so jealous that is <laughs> better than anything i have um uh, clearly clearly it's a good thing you're leading us off on this one um well i i'm i'm really excited about uh about this one because it is I, I don't know where the legend of the Queen Mary started, and it certainly hasn't ended. Um, you know, it might have been Unsolved Mystery. I didn't, I didn't look into previous television shows or movies or documentaries that had explored the, the legend of the Queen Mary as such. So I, I'm going to lead us all to believe that it was Unsolved Mysteries that really kicked off the interest in the possible hauntings on the Queen Mary. I'm just getting a little background of the ship it's located it's in um permanent like cement dock and uh down here in long beach um i was in long beach a couple weeks ago but i didn't i didn't go to the queen mary unfortunately because i had my doggy with me so i personally have never been there but i I know folks that just think it's a, a riot and a good time they've got a couple of restaurants on the ship there's a hotel uh it's all fully functioning to this day so if you ever want to plan a visit um you can you can go spend the night on the queen mary Oh wow! Okay, maybe maybe we should do like an episode of the pod from the Queen Mary. You know, um, there's a there's a podcast that uh, I've been listening to for a while, and I'll I'll give them a free shout out. <laughs> <laughs> um, but it's it, it it very much falls in line with some of the things that we talk about. But it's called Ono oh Ross and Carrie. And they go, they, their tagline is, we show up so you don't have to. And their whole thing is they go, and they're skeptics, and they go and explore. You know, um, they went and did an overnight on the Queen Mary with a ghost tour. Or they go out to, like, a mystery spot in Santa Cruz. Or they actually spent eight weeks of episodes infiltrating Scientology. Um, really? Yeah, yeah. No, it's a really great podcast. You should turn this one off and go listen to Ono, Ross, and Carrie right now. It's really good. Uh, so, so they they recently went down down there and they um, they did sort of like a live episode where they uh, rec- recorded a lot on the ship with this ghost group or ghost hunter group. So, um, I I think there's a sort of a fine line f- for examining this sort of unexplained mystery. In that it's very, very uh, famous, but it's also uh, something that they probably get a lot of tourism money for folks wanting to come in and do these ghost tours and spend the night and record, uh, you know, do recordings of to listen for EVPs or you know disembodied voices that sort of thing. So yeah, um, a little, a little more history on the Queen Mary. Um. It was built a long time ago, <laughs> the- uh, and you are free to go look up the particulars of the size of the ship, the year it was built. Anywho, um, it served a term, uh, I think it was in World War One or World War Two. It was actually, nope. uh, was it two? Yep. 
uh, where it was not been, I don't, it wasn't painted the bright colors that it's painted today. It was painted all gray, and it looked. I think they just used it as like a transport and cargo ship. It wasn't armed or anything like that. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was uh, then retired out of military commission, and then used as a passenger ship. And so it was. It was set to sea for 30 years and went back and forth across the ocean. I'm going to assume the Atlantic Ocean. Uh, but maybe it was specific. But the Atlantic sounds more reasonable. <laughs> uh, it went back and forth um, from the United States uh, 1,001 times before it was then... Uh, it's not when you... It's decommissioned. Decommissioned. You, thank you. Thank you. Well, yes. you, you got it right before okay. I, I, I was. You don't retire a ship, you decommission it, and, and then they put it in a cement dock and turned it into like a tourist destination in, in Long Beach. Um, so we, we get two really uh, fun folks that have worked on the Queen Mary sh- sort of sharing their stories with us. Um, we get Carol who is a very sensible woman, even though, you know, she's wearing a lot of blue mascara. She, uh, you know, it's the 80s. What are you going to do? She was a server on the Queen Mary for a number of years. Um, And then we get Nancy Ann, who is wearing a very smart blazer. Uh, And she was, I think, either a tour guide or some sort of, like, concierge type person on the ship. Well, I, I remember like Nancy Ann's introduction to us is she's relating the story about uh, how she was bringing coffee out and there was a woman who was suddenly sit- seated at a table. Um, yes, where, please, please go on. Wearing like not, what 1940s, uh, 1940s day dress. Um, and what, what actually had me confused about this was like the way Nancy tells the story was she wasn't expecting the woman to be seated out at the table. But the thing was, is like, who was she bringing coffee out for? Because in the reenactment, all the other tables are empty. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, I think that was probably an oversight on the reenactment. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So, <laughs> uh, all right, all right, yeah. So we'll let that one slide. Uh, um, she puts puts the coffee down in front of the um, uh, the woman who is just staring transfixed ahead, um, and you know seems to be a real person. Uh, but you know, with attire from the past, I don't recall. Did Did Nancy mention anything about this broad disappearing when she turned her back or something? Or um, I don't recall. Because you know, this seems to me like nowadays, with so many people getting into like historic costuming and steampunk and whatnot, mm-hmm. it's like this kind of encounter is probably pretty easy to to have, uh, especially if you have like a costumer who's like strung out on drugs or something um well yeah it's i mean i don't know what the security looks like in the 1980s on the queen mary i mean maybe you just have like weirdos coming on and off the ship to have a cup of coffee you know yeah yeah um so i mean this this struck me as like one that theoretically could have been like a living person um uh this particular encounter um I, I was I was a little more amazed by the um, swimming pool encounters. Um, yes, yes. So um, that was was that Nancy or Carol that had the swimming? You know, at first I thought it was Nancy, but then like about three quarters of the way through this segment, I realized Nancy and Carol were different people, and I had to retroactively so, go. So you notes. understand my confusion? <laughs> <laughs> yes. Keeping these two. Uh, so, um, <clears throat> yeah, so one of the things that, and I'll, I'll add in some conjecture here, one of the things that the Queen Mary is really known for is that there are two areas that seem to be really active with sort of strange happenings. One mm. of them is the pool area. So there's a, a you know, fairly large, uh, pool on one of the decks of the ship, um, and, it was either Carol or Nancy reports being being down there with someone and hearing like a little girl laughing and splashing in the pool, even though that there was there was no one in the pool. Um, and then hearing hearing the laughter continue up out of the pool and seeing a series uh, of wet footprints appear 
uh, yeah. next to the pool as as if someone who an unseen person was was walking into one of the locker rooms to change um there was also an incident i think it was with carol where she was on a escalator between decks and they were closing up for the night or for some reason it wasn't expected that any any guests would be present at this point in the evening and this was in shaft alley Yes, Shaft Alley. That's the that's the other spot that's sort of notorious for um, for having strange things happen. And she, so Nancy's on the escalator, and she kind of got the sense that somebody she'd gotten on it alone, and she kind of got the sense suddenly that someone was was behind her. And she turns around and she sees a man. And the way that this is shot in the reenactment is like. This man is too close. <laughs> he's too <laughs> close to her. Uh, he's like his head is like six inches away from her head. Um, and Nancy very calmly explains she thought it was like a mechanic on the ship or something like that. And um, when she gets off the escalator, she turns around. And there's no one behind her. So I I thought even the reenactment was was fairly spooky. Um, I, I I really enjoyed listening to both Carol and Nancy because they seem like very reasonable people. They didn't really have that crackpot vibe. They didn't seem like they wanted to believe. In fact, okay. I think it's Carol that says, you know, I don't believe in ghosts, but yet some strange things have happened that I can't explain. So, I'm, I don't, she's, she realizes her own cognitive dissonance, which is she's a very sensible, rational person, but now she has seen things that she can't rationally explain. Um, so... After these stories and many, 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 many more over the years, um, you know, there's been you know several deaths just during Queen Mary's term of service that have occurred on board. There's been several babies born. Um, it was in its time a very active ship. So we get to the really interesting part, which is Unsolved Mysteries decides to spring for some paranormal investigators. <laughs> The first, the first ones we've seen so far. So far, yeah. So this is our uh, first run-in. Robbie, uh, would do you want to describe well, what, what actually, you're like? Yes, um, I'm assuming that uh, with uh, Mr. William Pohl, that uh, you also saw that he kind of looks like Richard Dawkins. Uh, ironically, yeah. He well, he was you know, <laughs> very, you know middle-aged uh, British gentleman. Gentleman. Um, and then there was uh, Tony Tony Cornell, um, who I didn't um, I didn't really note so much about his appearance, other than he he insisted that he's a skeptic. Um, and I believe he's also the one who who asserted that uh, that um, that what's going on in this in this ship is a mystery that's got to be solved. Like. Did did you did he strike you as being like really forceful when he said that? Like yeah, very... no, he was getting down to business for sure. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and they they um, <clears throat> and I will I will say this about these these paranormal investigators is having watched many episodes of Unsolved Mysteries in my youth, and you know watching subsequent shows that came after this like sightings and whatnot. And, and just how ridiculous, like, some of these paranormal investigators are. Um, these these guys seem relatively measured. Uh, like, uh, the Paul William, um, he he said that, you know, at the, at the end of this, I'm going to get asked, is this ship haunted with ghosts? And he said, you know, these are questions I can't answer. Which, to me, seems like, a little more intellectually honest than the guys who are just like, oh yeah, this place is supercharged with spirits and so forth. Um, though it was, you know, it, things got a little more questionable when they brought on a team of like six psychics to uh, <laughs> circulate throughout the ship, um, all of whom claimed to know nothing about the ship's history. Um, which I don't. It's that's what. <laughs> Uh, I mean, they they read it when they drove in the Long Beach. That's what it was. <laughs> yeah, uh, that I was a bit skeptical about that too. Um, and uh, part of this investigation, and what you know, stood out to me a little bit was like they put the the sound recording equipment up uh, up in Shaft Alley, right uh, at the very front of the ship. Yeah, and uh, they sealed it off. Um, uh, for overnight and a little bit more background on this um 
one of the people that, invest, uh, that they interview, um, John Smith, uh, he's reported, I don't know, like hearing stuff in that part of the ship, which it turns out that, um, was it during the war that, uh, in, in, in its service as a transport, it actually collided with a British ship, the Kurosawa? Oh, that's right. Yeah. It was in a, in a fatal. Right. I mean, yeah. so not only have there been 49 deaths just in, in, in like the ship's existence as a cruise ship, but 300 men were killed in this this particular incident so i guess if if these things are based off location that that would probably be the part of the ship where you you would have the highest concentration and sure enough they they hear stuff on this recording um you know and you know it's it's definitely like distinctly like noise i mean no noise being made it's not just like really distinct you know, distant, like, vague, you know, whatever that could just be, like, this, you know, feedback sounds coming into the recording machine or whatnot. But honestly, like, when they're listening to the recording, I don't know about you, but the image that immediately went into my head is that there was, like, some elderly janitor working on the ship who was told not to go into that section of the ship. (laughs) But went in anyway to like fill his mop bucket <laughs> and are you, um, are, wait are you picturing the the janitor from the simpsons um is groundskeeper willie no no the the i think i've mashed three simpsons characters into one <laughs> Han, are, are you thinking hans moman the the really old guy yeah. who uh, yeah, yeah. Well, okay wait, um you know i would say that like even if I'm not necessarily that wasn't necessarily who I had pictured physically, mm-hmm. definitely the same sort of personality. Oh, you know and, who you I'm know. thinking of? Oh, okay. <laughs> I'm thinking of Scruffy from Futurama. I'm Scruffy, the janitor. I was in the neighborhood. <laughs> I was in the neighborhood, but that's yeah, uh, yeah, that's but... who came to mind when, um, you, when you started the... describing this fictional janitor person the scruff the scruffy's passable too yeah i mean this is this is someone who's just doing trying to get their job done um someone explained to them don't go in there but they didn't really emphasize why so this person's gone in there they're refilling their mop bucket or whatever and there is stuff on the recording that kind of sounds like voices i mean at least i i kind of perceived that but to me that was basically like Scruffy's supervisor comes along and is like, hey, you're not supposed to be in here. They're doing something in here. It's like, oh, sorry. And they, they, they probably left at that point. Um, yeah, I mean, I've, I'm, I'm so tainted by the amount of like paranormal investigations I've seen on the Queen Mary specifically. Yeah. And it seems everybody who does a recording seems to capture the same thing. There's just sort of like ambient ship noises and then maybe some disembodied voices. So... One of the things that occurred to me, and maybe they did this, maybe they didn't, but they didn't mention it on the segment, which was just play those noises back to somebody who's on the ship every day, like that works there. Ah! And see, like, oh, yeah, that's, you know, when the tide comes up, that's the ship creaking, or, you know, they, they sound like very run of the mill sort of creaky ship noises to me that. Right don't necessarily need to have like a, a paranormal cause then but that, just as a as a check like just ask somebody who's there every single day and, and you know obviously days. not mentioning anything like do you think this this is uh ship sounds or a ghost just be like uh what, what sort of sounds on this ship uh what sort of things on this ship would produce this sound and yeah they'll they'll probably like zero in on it right away yeah so like for example i'll use something from my own life um and I just moved into a new apartment and um, every time I would, you know, wash the dishes or take a shower about five to 10 minutes later, I would hear a noise from my kitchen as if somebody was loudly banging around in there. It's uh, a ghost. Yeah. And I was like, Oh my God, somebody's in my apartment. But then I realized it's just my water heater. All <laughs> oh, right. Right. Refilling the water. Yeah. Heater. And it's, you know, it's kind of knocking and pinging and, <laughs> as if somebody was moving around in the kitchen. And so I imagine anybody who, who came over to my apartment that, that heard that sound from another room would be concerned because it is pretty loud. But, you know, it's 
if you ask me, it's just my water heater. And it's it's in conjunction with having run the hot water. So it's <laughs> totally explainable. So I just, I just, I was kind of disappointed they didn't go back and, and run the tapes for, for someone who worked there, or at least someone who was more experienced with the ship. Um, so I, I mean, I really, uh, this was such a fun episode, like a fun segment. Uh, this is really for me what the show is all about is, is kind of entertaining this what if possibility. Um, Robert Stack ah. ends the segment um, with the question, is it haunted? <laughs> and <laughs> okay i didn't i didn't uh record that 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 closing uh thing i did make note that in be- in the middle of this segment uh and it looks like they have him walking around the actual queen mary pole right is um, that yeah i think yeah they have him there and i imagine you know if he's doing the interstitial uh the footage as we've theorized before somewhere around los angeles it'd be pretty easy just to go yeah. shoot the roll down on the queen mary right and um, yeah in 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 that uh in that more like intro segment where he, he discusses um that some people believe all locations are haunted that what happens is like events imprint themselves on that location um you know he, he gives it a and he gives he presents this in a very serious convincing manner mm-hmm which I'm sure, like, <clears throat> uh, if I did see this segment as a kid, would have totally left me convinced that ghosts are real. <laughs> well, you know, that's the thing. Watching it now as sort of a, a jaded adult. Right. Uh, I, I'm not sh- I'm not sure how much I buy the black and white ghost woman who was about to dive into the pool. Uh-huh. Um, like, to me, like, that seems, yeah, I, you know... I, I think the the segment really is more convincing with the the guy who's just standing behind Carol. Uh, was it Carol? Carol slash Nancy on the uh, escalators. Like, you know, there was you know there's, there was no nothing ghostly about him. They didn't put any production into it, but it was it was more uh, it struck me as a little more real. Yeah, like, and and it was. I mean, you can only imagine how unsettling that would be. Right. Right. Um. So, so Stack ends the segment by saying, is it haunted? And sort of suggesting until we have proof, it is both haunted and not haunted. <laughs> so I, so I was sort of thinking of this as like Schrodinger's haunting. Which is, <laughs> in, until we can say uh, otherwise, it's, it's both things at the same time. So we have to accept both realities, which I'm, I'm, I'm satisfied by that. I'll accept that. Um, right. Okay. Yeah. I mean, you know. <laughs> It's 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 a lot more measured a verdict than this show usually gives us on anything it presents. Yeah, well, we haven't gotten any into any like stigmata or statues of Jesus crying pomegranate juice or whatever the hell. So, <laughs> uh, so I I'm I don't really have anything to, to how add. How many how many stacks are you giving? This I'm going to give this five stacks because um, uh. the, the reenactments were excellent. Uh, they found witnesses that didn't didn't sound like total schmucks. Uh, you know, it was a really compelling story. It piqued my interest in, in visiting the ship. Um, and also, we get a full full blown paranormal investigation that that the show hands to us live. It's not a reenactment. They're they're going there and they're doing the thing. So, um, I'm yeah, I'm gonna give it I'm giving it five. I, I'm giving it four. Uh, I liked it a lot. Um, I didn't, <clears throat> I didn't find myself scared, which, uh, as you've said, could just be a product of our, our jaded age and looking back on this. But I, I thought, you know, I thought this was, this is definitely a solid ghost segment. It ends for me, the best part of really in some ways, the best part of it is the way it ends with just that empty shot of the Queen Mary corridor, um, uh, near the end, which is probably for me, like probably the most unsettling part of the whole segment it's just because it, <laughs> it it just leaves it in, in in your you know thoughts of like what you know what it's like to be on that ship walking down an empty hallway uh you know your mind could really uh you know really put you in the right state 
Yes, if if you've ever encountered anything. Oh yeah, we want Queen Mary stories for sure. So sure. we're we're at Reenacted Pod on Twitter. Um, we also have an email address now. You're welcome, America. It's reenactedpod at gmail.com. And if you've visited the Queen Mary and you've seen some spookies, let us know. We'd really like to... Or any ghost stories, really. Yeah. But don't make shit up. I don't... <laughs> I don't want that. I want real. I want real stories. Since we're now leaving the world of the paranormal and going on to uh, the real world, uh, this takes us to our next segment, uh, which is, is takes place in Teleco, Tennessee, uh, February 29th, 1978. Whoa, leap here. Oh, you're right. Unless I just wrote this down wrong and this is a seven. Oh, I wrote down the 27th. Okay. <laughs> But I really wanted it to be the leap year. Yeah, yeah. Uh, then uh, I guess you know if you lose someone on the the twenty ninth, you it, you don't have to deal with that date coming by every year. Uh, anyway, um, so uh, this involves uh, the murder of a young woman named Roxanne Woodson, um, who. Um, the se- the segment opens with her fighting off Joe Shepard in a car. Uh, Joe Shepard being her boyfriend or a guy she was on a date with, um, and she she gets out of the car and runs off into the the woods at night uh, with Joe running after her. Um, <clears throat> and this is almost certainly a, a case where Joe Shepard killed her uh, in that process. Um, Wait, he, you've, you've, you've forgotten to mention a very important detail. <laughs> that there were two friends in the back seat watching the whole time? Yes. <laughs> I, I was, I was, that was right the next thing I was going to mention. Oh, I'm sorry. Oh, no, 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 it's fine. I, I, you, I would be, you know, uh, it, how could we not mention this? Mike, they never really are clear. Are these Joe's friends or Roxanne's? Um, we don't know. Yeah, or mutual friends. Because if they're Joe's friends, I mean, obviously they're they're probably just two scumbag guys who are like watching their friend try to rape a woman in the front seat. Uh, if they're Roxanne's friends, they're pretty piss poor friends. Um, but yeah, uh, I I too found that strange. Like these these two guys are brought up and never mentioned again. Unless they somehow are the two people that come up later in this segment, but uh, we'll get to that in a moment. <clears throat> um, so, you know, after this incident, like, Joe comes back to the car. Uh, you know, I guess this cover story is she just ran off. Um, obviously, when she didn't return home, the police come by Joe's place to uh, take him in for questioning. And Joe reacts by pulling a shotgun on them. Um, and I don't know about you, but, like, they, they say that they fired two warning shots at him. Like, does that feels, like, extraordinarily, like, lenient and forgiving to just, like, not shoot to, like, knock him down. Cause... Um, well, you know, this was back in the day when it wasn't... Uh... When cops weren't the judge, jury, and executioner rolled into one, so. Yeah. Uh, also, I think Joe was a white man, so there's <laughs> oh, we're, we're getting awfully political here. Are we? <laughs> I, I, uh, I, you know, I, I, yeah, I, with I, the story, Robbie. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, so uh, they take him in for questioning, and his story was that... Um, uh, she was mad at his efforts to quote unquote seduce her, which I'm sure was, you know, just out and out a rape attempt. Um, and, uh, uh, if I recall correctly, uh, I mean, he hasn't revealed that like, as far at, at this point, all he's telling the police is that she just ran off. Right. So, yeah, I, 
I don't really remember what the details of the story were. I just, my my takeaway was that it, it was totally cockamamie. It was like, oh, well, yeah, yeah. like, like, it was... like it, it, it's going to get utterly ridiculous here soon. So, I mean, he, 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 he gets bond for, uh, 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 to get out of jail, uh, for his, uh, assaulting a police officer and even volunteers to join the search party, uh, that, gets formed to find uh, Roxanne. Uh, unfortunately, they're unsuccessful, which leads us all the way to April 8th of 8th of that year. Um, when, uh, unfortunately, for uh, Roxanne's mother, I believe it was her mother, um, discovers her body buried in the front yard after two dogs have been like digging away at the dirt and two hands are visible. Um, I think it was... The grandmother? No, it was Joe's mother. It was Joe's mother? It was Joe's mother. So I, th- I think they get into it towards the end of the segment, but this was very confusing. Um, like, Joe had a stepfather, and Joe had buried the body in his mother and stepfather's front yard. Okay, all right. Well, good. I, 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 I clearly misunderstood. I am... That does make a considerable more difference. Be, uh, uh, it makes a lot more sense because well, it's still some sick shit, but it's like yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's sick that. shit, but like it would have been super sick shit to have been burying her in the front yard of her own family's house, as well as just like insanely risky. And I, I was just baffled that no one noticed. Um, but okay, so yeah, she um, well, they, they had all that shit in their yard, according to that. Right, right. There's a lot going on. So yeah, um, so obviously this uh, uh, is for new information. Um, when Joe's now questioned by the police, uh, he elaborates more on the the, the sh- story uh, that um, when she ran off and he was chasing after her, she fell and struck her head, which is the exact same thing that happened in the Michigan horse incident. Um, in the story related by the murderer in that one um uh he panicked left the area then returned and he was unsure of what to do with uh um i think he, he was unsure if she was dead or alive but i guess eventually realized she was dead and the way he plays it in the reenactment uh th- that it's played in the reenactment where he's telling this to the police the way he says like well i I, I decided to bury her, and he says it in such a way that, like, he's trying to make it look like seem as if he was trying to do something noble. Like, you know, he's I don't want to, you know, he didn't want her her body to be left out there for animals to chew on. Um, and it just it reminds me of like in all those to catch a predator segments with Chris Hansen when like these guys have sexually explicit chats with someone they believe is an under, underage minor. And then when they get caught at the house, they try to tell Chris Hansen, like, well, I was just worried about this person that, you know, they shouldn't be talking to people online. So I came over here to, to try to, you know, convince them not to chat, chat online with uh, adults like that. Um, you know, like the moment he like, he, he says this, like that he's got, he decided the barrier and he tries to make it sound so noble. Like, I mean, he, he just became a hundred times more despicable uh, in that moment. Um, and then what's interesting about this is that uh, subsequently after this, there's an anonymous phone call that comes in where someone uh, reveals that um, that our uh, suspect is responsible for the disappearance of a woman named Kathy Clowers. And I don't know about you, but with this anonymous phone call, like, have, did you wonder who that was? Like, do you think that was like one of Joe, uh, one of his friends? Yeah, it might have been one of the backseat homies from yeah, Roxanne's um, situation. Yeah, I, I, that was just my speculation. But uh, Joe decides to, um, uh, he, he lets it know that he knows where she, she, she's, she's buried at. 
Um, and they go and they, they, they dig up her body. And one of the investigators uh, the, reveals that he was that he seemed to be so proud to have produced her body, which I don't know if at the time I watched that, it seemed to me like he was suggesting that Joe was like, because they had said that he had sort of like the, the, the investigators had made it seem, you know, one is trust as they sometimes do in interrogations. And that like he was he thought that these guys were his new best friends. And he's like, look, I, I found you, uh, you know, a body for a missing persons case. But I'm wondering now, in retrospect, whether like that pride was just like sociopathic killer pride. What What do you think? Um. Well, I mean, to, it could have been that, but I also think there's some element of he knows he's been caught, and so now it's more of that these guys are my buddies kind of thing. So he's trying to he's trying to bargain with them. He's trying to please them so that maybe ah. the repercussions will be less than he had imagined. Okay. Um, yeah. And to, to me, it seems very childlike. Right. Oh, yes, yes. The, 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 they totally play that in the reenactment, too. Like, I mean, you know, it. it this is, yeah, I, I agree. That, it's, that's... it's like, it's like if a little kid, like, breaks his mom's favorite fill in the blank and then you know offers to do the dishes later yeah no no that, that that's precisely it that's precisely it um uh of course you know this doesn't prevent him from being indicted um he's put in the bradley county jail but and this is where the story really gets interesting like in another cell a man feigns sickness and the jailer who obviously has never seen like any sort of action movie or TV show where people are locked up and they have to escape by feigning sickness, uh, comes in and gets overpowered by these guys who lock him into the cell and then go directly to Joe's cell and let him out. And, you know, when I'm watching this, like, they don't get into details as to who these two guys are, how they know Joe. And I was wondering, like, are these the two? These can't just be the two guys who are the friends in the back seat because they would have mentioned that, right? Yeah, I'm, I'm sure he made some sort of plan with uh, the guys in the cafeteria during the lunch hour or something. Oh, yeah, yeah okay. That, break out. That, yeah, that makes sense. Um, and and they, they, they all escape. The, the two guys who initiate the escape are, are captured, but Joe uh, uh, manages to get free uh, until our update, where 10 years later, he's uh, ratted out by someone who's watching Unsolved Mysteries. Uh, he's living in Lo London, Ontario. Yeah, he, he on the government dole up there. So. <laughs> uh, no comment. Um, was he, what, 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 was he on some sort of... Yeah, he was living in public housing with his wife and two kids. Oh, that's right! Yeah. Oh, man. Um, yeah. Uh, so, overall, this segment to me, I, I'm giving it two and a half stars. Um, I mean, you know, it was, it was just, you know, it, it, it was more or less a standard uh, find the killer segment. Um, it was a little bit interesting just for like his interactions with the investigators and, you know, watching this bullshit story change over time. Yeah. I, other than the like horrific nature of, of the killings and the circumstances, it's kind of a forgettable segment to me. Yeah. Um, I mean, in the end, eventually justice was served. Uh, I think Joe uh, Joe died in jail. Did you get that update? You know, uh, I, I've been trying to keep track of the ultimate fates of these guys. Yeah. I didn't write down anything about how many years he served. Cause yeah, I didn't get that. I just read yeah. in jail. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm mostly keeping track of this because I'm still a little perturbed that it seems like, you know... 
we got like murderers who seem to be like let out while that poor guy who stole the, po- the Polish sausage yeah. <laughs> uh, was facing the prospect of life in prison. Yeah, well, he got out. I mean, he's on probation. I mean, his life is ruined, but he got out. <laughs> So, which brings us to segment numero three, which is a missing persons case. See, um, (laughs) yeah, this, this was probably in some ways one of the most depressing segments I've seen so far. Not so much for like, yeah, and not even so much for like what happened to the person or anything, just, just listening to all of her diary or letter uh entries uh it's it's some of the most bleak stuff you can ever hear someone say uh truthfully yes and i really hope i mean i don't keep a diary for this reason but (laughs) uh please robbie our, our mutually assured pact is delete all the star trek stuff off my phone and burn my diary because I do not want to end up with Robert Stack holding a prop pink satin little girl's diary and then <laughs> reading from it. But it's the words of a middle-aged woman. I know that wasn't her actual diary, but... Uh, oh, well, you see, I you didn't know. even catch that. The I, I, guess, I guess I didn't focus... Uh, he was holding a pink little girl's. Oh yeah, diary. It, it was it was like pink shiny satin. It was like a child, like a little girl's, like a preteen's diary. <laughs> it was not the diary of a grown woman. Right. And I, you know. Anyway. Okay. Yeah. So, so we haven't uh, even gotten to the case. I'm already. Right. Yeah, we haven't we, we haven't even told the story of this poor, poor person's name. Uh, okay. Or, so. Or, um, so a woman named Gail, uh, I think she's in her late 30s, maybe. She lives in a town, it's a very small touristy town in Maine. Um, it's got approximately 3,000 full-time residents. Uh, the stock footage that they went out and shot looks like a really lovely town. Um, but to Gail, the vacation <laughs> paradise was a prison. God. Maine brings out the worst in her yeah, so. uh, that's what she said in her in her private diary. Uh, <laughs> yeah, she's um, just this is someone who is very lonely. She she says she's lonely. Um, she has two teen sons though, uh, and apparently it was her regular habit to look for companionship in the local classifieds. So I'll explain to you millennials that might be listening <laughs> to this podcast. Uh, first of all, welcome. Uh, second of all, uh, when before there were these things called apps uh, for dating, um, there was a primitive way of finding a mate where someone would describe themselves in, in a few words and perhaps what they're looking for in the local classifieds, um, much the way you would you would buy a used car. So uh, Gail has a classified ad out, and and they read it for us on the um, on the, sh- on the segment. Crystal, did you write down the entirety of that ad? I, I didn't, but did you, Robbie? <laughs> uh, if, if you like, and if our listeners like, I can proceed to read this ad. Um, read it as though you were Gail. Uh, okay, well, hold on. I'm going to have to really bum myself out, but at the same time, com- combine that with a little bit of, like, overconfidence. Uh-huh. Um, okay. <clears throat> Unique F. 34. Attractive. Trim. Intelligent. Affectionate. Independent. Slightly crazy night owl. Likes music. Movies. Dance. Dining. Seeks easygoing. Intelligent. Responsible. Not overweight male for growing relationship. And that's it. Uh, so she had a strict no fatties policy, apparently. <laughs> no fatties. Well, I don't know what's going on in Maine, but that seems like it would exclude most of your middle-aged male population. <laughs> so maybe Gail should have, like, 
reconsidered, you know, her uh, her deal breakers. Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> oh, this poor woman. Uh, okay, so on uh, June 20th, 1986, we, we start in 1986. Sorry, I forgot to mention that. Mm-hmm. On June 20th, 1986, uh, Gail's on the phone, her home phone, uh, for two hours to a man allegedly named John. Um, do you, you want to explain to millennials what a home phone is, too? Uh, you see, before we all had mobile or cellular phones, there were these phones. <laughs> uh, they were quite large, oftentimes, and attached to a cord that um, were wired into your house. Some people had many of these in their home. One in the bedroom and the kitchen, possibly in the living room or an office area. Um, and they didn't have screens on them. They had buttons like on the keyboard of your of your computer, <laughs> and you would and you would dial the numbers, and it made a sound like beep beep beep, <laughs> and then the phone would ring, and then somebody would hopefully pick up on the other end. That's not what phones sounded like, but honestly, <laughs> close I, enough. I cannot remember what dialing a phone sounds like either. Yeah, um, and and also, if you picked up, if someone picked up the phone in the bedroom and someone picked up the phone in the kitchen, yes, you'd both yes. be talking with the person that you called you at the same time. So yes. it's kind of like uh, um, uh, it's kind of like uh, you could have a conference call. Can you millennials do that with your cell phones now? Well, they have Snapchat. They don't actually talk to each other. Oh. Uh, anyway, Crystal, I'm sorry to have interrupted. It made this millennial uh, catch up. Um, um, so, so she she was having millennial to... catch up anytime. Yeah. Uh, so Gail's Gail's on her um, landline phone speaking to a man named John for about two hours, and um, she allegedly makes plans to meet this man at a Howard Johnson's in Brunswick. And I'll also explain what the Howard Johnson's is <laughs> for our millennial listeners. Um, it was a, it is, uh, but it was a little bit more prolific, a, a Northeast-based uh, chain of uh, hotels. But they're also mostly like coffee shops, uh, travel stops, uh, kind of an all-in-one, you know, place to fuel up and maybe get something to eat before you're on your way for your road trip. If you really needed to spend the night, um, you could you could potentially sleep sleep at the Howard Johnsons. We called them Hojos for short. Uh, so, so Gail makes plans to go to the Hojo in Brunswick to meet this mysterious John, and uh, she doesn't return. And as a detective in the case lets us know, it wasn't that unusual for Gail to go on a date and not come home in the evening, but because she had children. Um, she would call home and just let her sons know she wasn't going to come home and, and, you know, pull something out of the freezer for dinner or whatever. Uh, if she's not coming home in the evening, why is she so lonely? I I, I, don't know, yeah. I, I guess I guess. Yeah, Robbie, I think Gail's probably seen a lot more action than you or I have. Yeah, man. And like... uh, maybe she just she just can't make them stick, you know? So, okay, so it's not like She's not looking for just like a hookup. She's looking for a, a substantial relationship. Then, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, I okay. Think, I mean, there's there's two things logistically kind of working against her here. I mean, I think <laughs> I think most folks uh, in that time, as now, who were looking just for a hookup, would go down to their local bar and and see who was or friendship club or your local friendship club. And sort of see who was available um, for that, but I think I think the classified ads because you had to pay to take them out and all of that, it was more of a signifier of somebody who was looking for an actual relationship. So, um, uh, yeah. I I think maybe Gail was having these experiences. I think also the detective kind of slut shamed her a little bit. I think it probably was not that frequent, uh, but you know maybe twice a year she had a good night out with somebody and she called her sons to let them know she was going to come home yeah so i don't think she was out there like every night but also like detective know-it-all is like well you know it was pretty common that she would like not come home at night but at least she would call it's like (laughs) dude 
Come on. Oh. Anyway. Oh, the 1980s. Okay, so... So, uh, Gail's been missing for about 37 hours when uh, the police go to the Howard Johnson in Brunswick and they find her car, which has been left there with no trace of Gail. Um, a couple of days later, with her not coming back, uh, the police tow the car out of there. Um, later that day, I, an employee who was taking the trash out uh, from the Howard Johnson's finds the keys to her car. Uh, in the parking lot. And it seemed to imply in the exact spot, too, that the car had been parked. Yeah. Yeah. So, so this was pretty puzzling to detectives. Um, a couple weeks later, a child uh, finds Gail's purse, sans any cash, uh, in the front of the restaurant. So um, police are kind of at a loss as, as to what has happened to Gail. Um, they go through her diary, they go through her date book that they found in her purse where she'd kept appointments and things like that. They start calling her old ex-lovers to see, uh, if they had heard from her. None of them were named John. Um, they get in touch with a good friend of hers, which was apparently a local radio DJ. Crystal, may I, uh, pause this for just a second? Yes. To, um... I, I have to say, actually, one one of my favorite segments, a bit little just pieces from the, tonight's episode, uh, is actually when they get done questioning. And I thought one of the guys was named John, but maybe I, I'm mistaken. But when they get done questioning the the first, uh, you know, ex flame in the questioning room, mm-hmm. and you know he's he's free to go. He like in the in the reenactment they show him get up. And he goes out into a hallway that is full of guys sitting around waiting. And, uh, and you know, like... the, the grief. <laughs> and the way they, like, they shot this, like, with a bunch of guys lined up in chairs and, you know, standing around. And, like, you know, whoever they've just finished questioning, it's up to him to tell the other guy, like, okay, you're, you're up. And, um... You know, it's it looks like a bunch of guys waiting for a job interview or something. Um, but to me, this was actually like it was sort of like I chuckled a little bit seeing this because I mean, did they did they bring all the ex flames and just like all in at once and made them wait around while they just questioned one after another? You know, that's not how it happened. <laughs> I know. I, that but, you know, we had to get the full volume of Gail's love life here, so... Yeah, it, it, it's like, know. it's it's symbolic or, or, or something. Or maybe or maybe uh, the detective was also the one who was the cinematographer for this segment. He's like, put more guys in there. We gotta show yeah. you know, just how well, loose she was. You know, you know, they could have used those extras to fill up the dining room from the ghost segment of the Queen Mary. <laughs> if they had all that budget sitting around. Oh, man, a misappropriation of extras. Uh, no, I'm glad that you mentioned uh, mentioned that little gem of uh, the implication that there were just so many they had to be penned out in the hallway. Yeah. Uh, so, Gail has a good friend who's the DJ at the local radio station... They, they tell us he's a good friend, but he doesn't seem to have a very high opinion of Gail. He's like, yeah, she would just call me and talk for hours. She was suicidally depressed. I was tired of her bitching. She was just a real bummer. It was like, okay, well. Chris, Chris Crystal, in my notes, uh, next to this guy's name, I have in a uh, sort of parentheses box uh, a question I wrote down uh-huh. uh, about this guy. I wrote down, thinks she is worthless? question mark because that that is totally what he yeah he he, he like i mean whereas like whereas the detective was slut shaming shaming her this guy is just like saying that like she's the most miserable per, you know thing in existence it's yeah, it, we're getting a lot of conflicting accounts yeah here uh so two sort of competing theories get floated uh, about Gail's disappearance. She either uh, met up with this man named John, who, at this point, we've now uh, 
been shown her parents uh, speaking on Gail's behalf. Her mother says that typically when Gail had a date, she would give her mother uh, the the name of the person she was going on the date with and and uh, where she was going. Um, and th- in this case, on, on June the night before the date, so we're looking at June 20th, June 21st, uh, Gail tells her mother, oh, I have a date tonight, but doesn't really reveal any more detail than that. Mm-hmm. Um, and so her mother seems very distraught that in this one case she didn't didn't manage to follow up on on where the date was or who it was with. So um, other than this man named John, we have no details. So, you know, some assume that she met up with him and something terrible happened to her and she's not able to call home to to check in. Uh, the other theory is that because she had been suic- reported as suicidal before that um, she had disappeared and killed herself. So her mother seems unconvinced of that and her so does her sister saying, you know, she wouldn't just do that. Plus, you know, she had children as well Yeah. Um, to just up and leave without sort of a handing them off to the grandparents or something. seems very odd to me as well. So... Um, the family uh, prints up some missing persons posters with Gail's picture on them <laughs> and a description of her. And they, this was very sort of <laughs> innovative, I thought. They, they enlist the East Coast uh, truckers. It's, that's not an association or anything. But they give these flyers to truckers at truck stops asking them to distribute them to um any port of call on on the east coast so you sort of have this network of people looking out driving up and down the interstates um on the east coast of the united states it's it's like the the pre-internet you know equivalent to like spreading the word out nat you know as national as you can get yeah well it's it's a rudimentary amber alert right now we have those signs on the highway and you know before that we didn't so um, so there's a trucker who says that he definitely had given Gail a ride, um, down south somewhere. Swears up and down it was her. So now the family... She had that northern accent real bad. <laughs> uh, he, there's no doubt in his mind it was her, so this is giving the family hope, of course, that Gail will be found. Um... We basically end the segment with her family pleading for Gail to at least reach out, saying, you know, you don't have to get in contact with us if you don't want to, but call the show, let us, let them know you're alive, um, and they'll get the word back to us, but just give us something. Yeah. Um, so are we ready for the update? Well, I just want to mention, uh, towards this end, that alleged disc jockey friend, like, I have in quotes here, uh, him talking about Gail... Not sure enough, not brave enough. Uh, I just want. Yeah, wanna... I mean, he's basically implying she's like so fucked up she can't even kill herself properly. Right, right. Which leads us to the update. Update. Uh, uh, Mobile, Alabama. Um, so, unsolved mysteries apparently gets a call from the Mobile uh, coroner's office, and. They had a Jane Doe that had been found in a motel room around a few days after Gail had allegedly disappeared. Somebody who had OD'd on drugs. Um, the woman in question in the hotel room had checked in with a, uh, a pseudonym, um, which I, I didn't write down. It doesn't matter. But sure enough, uh, there was some investigation done by the police from Maine, and they were to able to positively ID Gail's body being the one that was found in the hotel room in Mobile. So super sad ending. Um, For whatever reason, Gail felt she had to disappear and run away. Um, I, you know, I can understand this from, from her description of, you know, talking about this town in Maine as being a prison. Um, It's hard for me to fathom though, not leaving a note or, leaving someone in charge of her sons, at least not like wrapping up loose ends. Yeah, that that's, yeah, it was, um, you know, she, she, she went through all this effort to like put together this elaborate, like leaving, but she didn't address the, you know, really the, the most important issues is, you know, what's going to happen with her sons and, 
all that it, it, it's it, it's just a really unfortunate story um i mean i i know i wanted to like make a lot of fun of her based off the diary entries and yeah. stuff but i mean it's just it, it's it's sad i mean it's unfortunate that this this person you know they weren't getting what it was out of life that would have you know allowed them to be happy yeah, it also makes me wonder if she had intentionally, if it was suicide by accident or intentional. I mean, we'll never know, so it's kind of pointless to speculate, but, um, you know, she might have just needed a break, or maybe she was having some kind of break. Right, well, yeah, I mean, I, like, how many people, like, fake their own disappearance, go to another part of the country to commit suicide? I mean, it, it was very strange. yeah. That's what makes me think she didn't really mean to kill herself, but she did. Yeah. So we're uh, we're really ending on a high note here. Yeah, uh, I mean, it kind of sucks because the Queen Mary portion of the show was just so much fun, and the two stories that followed it thematically were not fun at all. They were terrible, uh, terrible tales. So, oh, how many stacks do you give uh, this particular segment? Um. I'll give it two. Wow. Okay. You know, I, I was going to, I, I went ahead and gave it three just because like, he, <laughs> just because of all the strange interactions with the disc jockey and the, you know, uh, chauvinistic, uh, DA and the diary entries. It was, it was, it was, suffi- it was interesting seeing all that stuff, yeah, regardless of how, you know, engaging the reenactments were themselves yeah i'm just so bummed out though (laughs) oh yeah yeah it is it is super depressing i just i like really i you know i think i think a lot of us have struggled with these types of thoughts and um you know had the good fortune for whatever reason to move past them and she didn't and it sucks and so Oh, I can't to rate it any higher in my mind would be to. Uh... Oh, I, I see what you. Yeah, well, yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, yeah, yeah. I, I, I assumed if you rated it higher, it wasn't because you'd be getting uh, pure entertainment value just from the the thought of this person's uh, unfortunate. Well, I, you don't. You don't need to feel the need to defend your extra stack. I'm just saying, from where I'm, I'm <laughs> sitting, it's just. I would like to move past this as quickly as possible. Uh, and maybe this isn't necessarily a personal unsolved mystery. You see, I'd never heard of Howard Johnson's before this segment. So, but clearly you either have or you did research uh, about it. No, which it's, wasn't. It's, so. it's just, uh, it's in the zeitgeist, right? So um, there's... A, of course, both you and I grew up on the West Coast, so we haven't had a ton of experience with Hojo, but I believe there was one uh, in Seattle, uh, which is near where I went to high school, so it was kind of the running joke about after prom getting a room at the Hojo. Oh. Uh-huh. Uh, I don't know that anyone ever did that, but... You know, you know. Uh, and there's an episode of The Simpsons, a flashback episode uh, before Bart is born, and they're trying to decide what to name him. And Homer suggests that they name him Homer Jr. Uh-huh. The kids can call him Hojo. Yeah. Yeah. That that that's 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 about the extent of my Hojo knowledge. Um. Uh, well, I mean, really, why would you have any? It's not. Oh yeah, yeah. Li- 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 living it's... in a living living in a a, a a a waterless desert. I mean, I'm about as far removed from Maine or or Seattle for that matter. <laughs> Well, I don't, I think there's actually, up until very recently, I think there was a, a Howard Johnson's in Las Vegas. Ah. Um, and possibly there was also one um, in Reno, but way back, way, way, way back. So, Shit. Um, you know, it, maybe it was by the airport. Maybe I'm just making this up. <laughs> if you're listening to this podcast <laughs> and you have any knowledge about whether a Howard Johnson's existed in Reno... Go ahead and go over to our Twitter at reenactedpod, and, or sh- 
<laughs> or shoot and to us. Tell us to go fuck ourselves with this boring ass question. <laughs> Feel free. To tell us to shut up. Go right ahead. Uh, anyways, um, I know for sure that there's still Howard Johnson's, at least the coffee shop, uh, in Times Square in New York. Okay. I know well, that for sure. All right. Well, that, that's about all I, I, I have to ask about Howard Johnson's. Uh, not, not as interesting as plant women uh, or women having sex with plants, uh, which was our, our last. And uh, if you, yeah, if you have no <laughs> idea what Robbie's talking about, you should probably listen to the episode previous to this. He's not, so, he's not a total pervert. I, <laughs> I promise you. So you, you, you do have reason now to listen to the previous episodes. Yeah. If this is one year it gets pretty freaky baby yeah okay uh, should we wrap this up yes uh i think uh we, we've we've already pitched uh uh our social media stuff such as it is right well you've been re- listening to reenacted and unsolved mysteries podcast the program about two people whose life seems to revolve around this program um and uh for every mystery someone somewhere knows the truth perhaps that someone is watching perhaps it's you